You're listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law. Today, we are talking about a really important issue for business, which is tips for avoiding unfair dismissal claims. And in order for us to give this subject the proper treatment that it deserves, we have on board Jane, who heads up the Employment and Litigation Divisions at Aspect Legal. So Jane has extensive experience over decades acting for both employers and employees in relation to unfair dismissal claims and other issues relating to employment. So I thought she was the perfect person to have along today to talk about these really important issues. Hi, Jane. Welcome along. Hi, Joanna. Thank you. Great. Okay. I think this is a super important area for business to understand. What is it that you think in terms of unfair dismissal claims, why understanding this is important for business owners and business advisors? Look, the issue of terminating employees can be a really difficult area for employers to navigate. And it's one that comes up, it's an issue that comes up time and time again with our clients. It's important that both the small business owners and also the managers and advisors in in larger corporates aren't afraid to deal with their staff. So that can be in relation to performance or behaviour. It's about knowing the right processes and having those processes in place to properly manage your staff and try and minimise the risk of your business being exposed to to an unfair dismissal claim. Yeah, that's I think that's a great point because one of the things that I've noticed over time is that clients will often contact us often when they're at the point of dismissing a staff member and it's only then that they realize for some reason that they haven't fulfilled the process that they need to ensure in terms of making sure that dismissal isn't going to raise risk for their organization. But this to me then seems to operate in a way that they, they'll act one of two ways. Either number one, they'll dismiss the employee, but then suffer the consequences if an employee files an action for unfair dismissal. Or on the other hand, they'll continue to accept underperforming staff behavior because they're too scared and they don't understand what they can do. Is that the sort of thing that you're seeing come through with our clients as well? Yes, definitely. I think, you know, a couple of recent examples we've had are where we've been contacted where, as you say, the the employee's already been dismissed and that was done obviously without sort of consideration to the proper processes and procedure and it's much harder to then go back and try and rectify what's already happened. Whereas if you've got the proper processes in place, your staff and your, your supervisors and managers know what they need to do and the process they need to follow to try and make sure that you don't end up with a disgruntled worker who then wants to bring a claim. So I think the most important thing to remember is not only just to have these processes in place, but to make sure that they are followed correctly and that the staff that are in charge of things such as recruitment, training, performance management, and ultimately dismissal are aware of these processes. 
Great. I think that's a really good point that you make, Jane. It's not just about understanding one person in an organisation, understanding these elements. It's also about putting in place processes and training so that staff members throughout the organisation understand this area and have access to resources in this area. In fact, this reminds me of a conversation that I had a few months ago with an employee of a very large organisation who's a manager. At that point, he was required required to have a number of performance discussions with his staff members, but without understanding what the risks are in relation to the discussions that he was having. And I thought it's really interesting that even large organisations often feel fall short in making sure their employees and managers, importantly, understand what the things are that need to be said and recorded in meetings along the way and how staff management needs to happen if you're leading to the point that termination may be required into the future. Let's then track back a bit. I guess the first thing, let's talk about how a claim can be made by a disgruntled worker. How does it all work? In determining whether or not a termination was unfair, the Fair Work Commission will look at whether the termination was harsh, unjust or unreasonable. So there's a number of criteria that they'll use in determining whether or not it's been, you know, unfair, I guess. And and I guess stepping back one step here. So here we're talking about Something that an employee or an ex-employee is claiming is a termination. So it may not be an actual termination. We've, of course, had instances at our firm where employees have quit and then later argued that, in fact, it was constructive dismissal or termination by the employer. But there's an instance that occurs where there is termination or an alleged termination. And then the ex-employee goes to Fair Work Australia and for a very small fee can lodge a claim. That's how it all kicks off, right? Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately for employers, it's very, very easy for an ex-employee to bring a claim. It's all sort of done online. It's very easy for them to hop on and, as you say, pay it, pay a very nominal fee to commence the action. And once that action's commenced, the employer has no choice. But to then spend the time, you know, either dealing with it internally or, you know, obtaining advice as to how to proceed with that claim. And at the very least, the employer is required to put on a response, which will involve obviously detailing their side of the story, if you like. The matter is then listed for a conciliation hearing, and that'll happen regardless of whether or not, you know, it's the case that the the ex-employee really does have standing to, to bring a claim or in fact was unfairly terminated. So you can see that this sort of failing to properly sort of navigate this area can really cause a lot of wasted time and expense and stress on businesses, whether they're large or small. I guess the, in essence, what really needs to happen is that the organisation just needs to be sort of geared up to deal properly with the dismissals. And that means that you need to start before these problems arise and and do everything that you can to try and minimise the possibility that such a claim will be made. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good point you make about the ease of which an unfair dismissal claim can be brought, but then the amount of time and effort 
that is required once that action has kicked off. Because that's the thing that I find often businesses don't understand until they've had the first the first episode occur in their business. Because most businesses will at some point in their lifespan have a brush with unfair dismissal claims. It, it's not at all unusual. So it doesn't happen all the time in most organisations, but it is something that in most businesses will rear its head at some stage potentially. And it's not until business owners have been in that situation that they suddenly realise how costly and time intensive dealing with it can be because once it's kicked off, it's not up to you whether or not it continues. You know, you're forced into the process, as Jane says. Okay, great. So then let's talk about the size of business. So the size of business of our listeners varies. We have many major corporates listening into this podcast, but we also have quite a few small business owners. So let's talk about this issue in relation to each of those business businesses separately. So firstly, small business, what's different from them as as opposed to large businesses? So in this context, small business means a business that's employing less than 15 employees. So once you get to that 15 or over mark, then you're classified as a larger business. So with the small business, I guess the main difference in relation to whether or not an employee can bring an unfair Uh, dismissal claim is the length of service. So in small businesses, the employee has to have been working there for at least 12 months before they can make a claim. Uh, Whereas in larger businesses, that period is reduced to six months. So as you can see in small businesses, if there are, you know, employees that haven't been employed for, for that long, then obviously they're not able to bring the claim. I guess the other thing with small businesses is there is a small business fair dismissal code, and that sets out the process that should be followed uh, when terminating an employee. So that can provide, well, it will provide protection from an unfair dismissal claim where an employer can show that they've followed that code. So there are a number of steps and there are a number of questions, if you like, which prompts the employer to consider whether they've gone through the steps and allowed the employee an opportunity to rectify their behaviour or improve their performance before they've made the decision to terminate. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. All right. Let's talk about the period of time that we have essentially as an amnesty before a new employee could have access to this unfair dismissal regime. Just to repeat, you said that for small businesses, so businesses less than 15 employees, there is a 12-month amnesty, as it were, in which an employee who is terminated can't bring an action for unfair dismissal and six months for any organisation that's not a small business. I think it's probably good here just to also talk about the difference just because we're saying that unfair dismissal claims can't be brought. It doesn't mean that other claims like, for example, unlawful dismissal can't be brought. And just very briefly, if you could just touch on what unlawful dismissal is. Yeah, so unlawful dismissal differs in that it is a claim that's brought by an employee where there's been some sort of discriminatory issue involved. So it may be that the person was dismissed. The reason for the dismissal was based on the person's religion or racial background or whether they're male or female or that type of thing rather than being strictly related to to performance, if you like. Great. Okay. All right. And so so unlawful dismissal doesn't have this restriction for the employee to bring it for that period of six months or 12 months after first employee, but unfair dismissal has that amnesty period, I'm calling it. (laughs) But And and I guess for business owners, in their mind, this is often what they see as the probationary period, right? Yes. 
Yes, that's correct. So again, that's that's one of the things to consider is just to make sure that you're setting the right probation period. So that could be anywhere, say, you know, using those same markers between sort of six and 12 months, but obviously that depends on the role and also the size of the business as to what, you know, would be considered appropriate. Great. Okay. And I, I guess the other thing to mention here is as well to be careful that your employment contracts don't create a situation where you're creating a contractual position that is harsher for you as the employer than the standard fair work position, right? Yeah, that's correct. And I think that comes back to making sure that you've got those right employment agreements in place and also making sure that you're just aware of those national employment standards, which will set the minimum requirements. And as you say, just making sure that you haven't sort of gotten yourself into a position where it's harsher for the employer. Great. Okay. All right. So let's then get to what is it that all businesses, irrespective of size, should be remembering about termination? I think the main thing to remember, you know, we've touched on it, it's just that failure to be have the proper systems in place will just open the business up and increase the likelihood of a claim being brought. So it's really important that you have these proper processes in place before these issues arise and to obviously make sure that your senior staff or the, the staff that are dealing with the employees on a regular basis you know, are well equipped to deal with any situations that may arise and are also well aware of what those expectations are in terms of recording things to do with performance management, internal meetings and, and the like. Right. Okay. All right. Fabulous. So I guess one thing that might be really useful to our audience is to hear the sorts of themes that we're seeing with our clients at the moment. So what are you hearing at the moment, Jane, in relation to those themes that are coming through with our clients currently? The sorts of things that we're seeing where employees have been employed for a long time and that employment relationship then can become quite a personal relationship and I think a lot of employers make the mistake that well you know they're relying on that personal relationship in the hopes that the relationship won't sour and that if something happens between uh, the employer and the employee that because of that relationship the employee won't go ahead and make a claim and I think we've certainly had instances where that's been the case with our clients. Yeah and I was going to say I think that's a great area for businesses just to be wary of because I I feel that often when I speak to businesses about this area, sometimes I'll get a response, you know, we've had our staff for a long period of time, we've got a close relationship and so so that's fine, we don't need to talk about this area. But then subsequently things change with these employees and years down the track their family situation might be different to how it was during the period of the previous employment or, you know, other things might occur that suddenly change that relationship and if you don't have the processes in place it can be a rude shock to find that an employee has brought an action because you haven't had these processes in place and I think it's probably really good business practice anyway to have good processes in place to deal with employees and employment related issues to ensure that you can jump on issues before they turn into anything bigger. So what other themes are you seeing as well? We definitely see a recurring theme in terms of a failure to keep accurate records. So particularly where that relates to performance improvement and warnings. So it may be that an employee has been given a verbal warning saying, you know, you really need to increase your performance, you're not hitting your markers, but then there's been no record of that meeting. There's been nothing in writing given to the employee to say, look, we confirm that this is what we discussed. This is what we expect. We're giving you six months or whatever the appropriate timeframe is to see some 
improvement. Failure to see some improvement may then result in further warning, that type of thing. So it's just essential to keep a record of, of all these discussions relating to performance, any performance improvement plans that are put in place, and of course, any follow-up action that's been taken. Great. Okay. I think that's really good advice. So how about out of that, let's let the listeners know the action items that relate to how they can set up processes within their organisations to reduce the likelihood of issues occurring. Sure. I mean, look, there are a number of things that that can be done. A couple of them we've touched on already, but I guess the first one is just to be clear in specifying what's expected from new employees. You may want to have a process that sets out the onboarding of new employees and just be really clear and let them know what your expectations are and um, of course the accountabilities also. Uh, I guess the next thing is to make sure that you have company policies in place that will deal with important areas such as social media, what not to do on social media, bullying, harassment and those types of things. You want to make sure that they're clearly written and also make sure that they're readily available in the office and that the employees know where they are. You know, another item is definitely, which, you know, we've touched on earlier, just to make sure you've got the right employment agreement in place and make sure they're always up to date. That's a good point because legislation changes. So it's really important that businesses regularly have templates reviewed that they're using to make sure they're using the right templates. That's correct. And also make sure that they're aware of any applicable, you know, award or industry code or standard that might be applicable to their particular business. Great. Uh, I guess uh, uh, another item is that we have touched on earlier is just to determine who has the power to hire and fire. So you just want to make sure that your managers or your supervisors or whoever you deem to be in charge in your business has a clear idea about who's responsible for certain things. So disciplinary action, termination, and just make sure that they've had the adequate training, whether that's getting your in-house HR to do some seminars or getting some legal advice and, and guidelines around expectations. But it's just really important that they understand what they can and can't do and what they both should and shouldn't say, more importantly. Great. And so for larger businesses, they'll probably have teams who create that. And, and if they don't, no out. Our team at Aspect Legal can help with that. Smaller businesses often feel that they're more on their own in this area and also that they don't have the resources to put this sort of training together. So I guess the point here is that it can be very easy. All you need to do is seek the appropriate advice and the tools can be provided to you. So don't put this into the too hard basket. Seek advice, seek help and get the right tools on board so that you can then communicate it to the right people in your staff. Yeah, that's right. And I think another item that often businesses will overlook is is having a system in place for performance management. So again, just making sure that those staff that are involved in disciplining and managing a team, if you like, or, or a number of staff have a system in place. They're aware that they're supposed to keep appropriate notes of all the discussions they have and basically making sure there's a record of, you know, a record kept of anything that could possibly affect the employment relationship in the future, of course, especially if, it, if a dispute arises. Yeah, and it's interesting in this world of email now, often many discussions are had via email, but this also means that if records are in email, they can be hard to find in the future. And indeed, often with the plethora of information that we have 
in our computers these days, even digital notes can be lost as well. So, and let's not get started on hard copy notes. So the point is to have systems in place so that wherever it is that you're recording the details of these discussions that have taken place, they can be found in the future when they're needed rather than being lost in paper or digital form somewhere. Great. Okay. So, so that's all the action steps for reducing the likelihood of issues occurring in the first place, which is super important. It's part of the prevention is better than cure. But what if an issue is already there? What if you've got an employee that is not performing and you want to work out how to terminate? What do our listeners need to be aware of if they're staring down the barrel of needing to think about a termination in the very near future? Yeah, look, I guess the first thing is that it's really important that there's no delay in making the decision. So in the majority of cases, there'll be a need to issue warning letters and that process can take some time. So as you've said, if they're looking at an employee and thinking, all of these things have happened in the past or whatever it is that's led up to it and that they want to terminate, they still just need to make sure that whilst you don't want to delay in making the decision, you want to make sure you follow the proper processes. So there's no real rule, but it's advisable to give at least two warning letters and that would then be followed by a final warning letter and then ultimately the dismissal if there's no improvement. I guess the most important thing to remember with giving the warning letters is that you want to give the employee a chance to respond or a chance to state their case once you've raised the issue and then of course make sure you give them adequate time to rectify the issue. If you've run that course and you're at the point of giving the final warning and ultimately dismissing. Once again, you really need to put forward the reason for the proposed dismissal. So that's a a big thing that the commission will look at if a claim is brought is whether or not there was a valid reason given for the dismissal, whether or not that was communicated clearly to the employee, whether they were given a chance to respond. Um, And that all needs to be done before you've made your final decision. So even where in your own mind, you've made the decision that you this, this person needs to be terminated. It You need, still need to follow the process where you're allowing them the opportunity to respond before making that final decision. Right. Okay. Fabulous. I think that's really, really poignant things for our listeners to be aware of. And I, I think we're almost at the end here. Do you have any last minute tips for our listeners, Jane? Oh, look, I think ultimately it's incredibly difficult. It's actually impossible to avoid all dismissal problems, but implementing some of the strategies we've talked about and some of those key action items will really help to limit the risk of a potential complaint following a dismissal. Great, wonderful. Look, I think this has been really useful content, both in assisting small businesses and large businesses alike to ensure that they have set up the right processes to reduce the likelihood of employment and unfair dismissal claims occurring. And if they have occurred and they are in place at the moment, we had some really great pointers about what you should be doing right now, taking action now, not delaying your decision to ensure that you're protecting the business as much as possible. Thanks so much for coming in, Jane, and thanks so much to you, the listener, for listening in. If you'd like more information about this topic, please head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au. Through that website, you'll also be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you're so interested in this area of employment and unfair dismissals that you want to read it in more detail. On that page, you'll also find details of how you can contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you'd like help with any of the items that we covered today. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd be extremely grateful. And please also share 
this podcast because we feel like this is useful information for businesses out there to hear and they'll only get it if our listeners share, share the love. So thanks for listening in. We'll see you next time you've been listening to Talking Law. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.